This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for August 4th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. The message is by Father Ron Baird. This may come as a shock to you, but God is not a capitalist. Did you all know that? That God wasn't a capitalist? He's not even American, much less a capitalist. Sometimes it's easy for us to follow T.S. Eliot, you know, that old saying that in the beginning God created man and man's been returning the favor ever since. Um, we tend to want to remake God in our image, don't we? But God's not a capitalist. He's also, by the way, not a socialist or a communist. So what is God? Hmm? Father, he's a theist. Now, why would God not be a capitalist? Do you ever wonder about that? Do you ever give any thought to that? Believe it or not, this has to do with today's lessons. We'll get there. You know, the, the prospect of capitalism is that wealth can produce more wealth, and so it grows. I mean, that, that's the whole principle behind capitalism is that investing wealth in something that money can produce more money and that wealth can then be bigger. So it's the sort of concept that the pie, if you will, is not stable, that it can shrink or, or grow. It's dynamic. And so, but God doesn't follow that rule. Nobody knows why? First of all, there's no bank of heaven. So he doesn't need money. What did he do when, he, when Peter said, Lord, they're requiring us to pay the tax? Anybody remember that story? Yeah, go over there and get a fish, pull a coin out of its mouth, pay it. Because see, God can create wealth himself. He doesn't need a, a material thing to cause things to grow more and more. And so for God, those things aren't very important. Now, for us, that puts us in attention, doesn't it? Because it becomes very easy for us to place great importance on finances and security. You know, a lot of people, I've even had people say to me, well, yeah, but God doesn't have to live in the real world. <laughs> Think about that one for a little while. <laughs> so what world does God live in exactly? Maybe we're the ones not living in the real world. That's really what today's story um, in the Gospels is about. Because this man came up and said, Master, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's doing that because he wants to provide for his future. And his brother is in charge of all the money. He decides what goes where. And so he wants you know, to make sure that he gets enough to get by. But Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with that. Instead, he tells a story about a wealthy man who had a, an, a, an incredible crop one year. And, and it, it came in, and it was far more than he could have ever imagined. He didn't even know how he'd ever you know, do with, what he'd ever do with it all. And so he builds all these extra barns, and then he says to his soul, now when you start talking to yourself in third person, um, it's a little weird, or second person. But, um, and so he says to his soul, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, basically, he's got it made. But God says, you foolish man, this night your life will be required of you. And then who will get all of your goods? So God's trying to tell us something about this pursuit of financial security and wealth that it somehow or other can 
change us and begin to make us think that, that we have it made, that we can get there easily enough. And in the epistle lesson today, when Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, he tells them to put to death earthly things. And one of those earthly things that he mentions put to death is greed, which he likens to something. What does he say greed is? It's idolatry. Now, isn't that interesting? He didn't say it was immoral. He didn't say it was bad. He didn't say it was impolite. He said it was idolatry. And that's the problem with wealth, is it becomes very easy for it to become an idol for us to worship that we put first in our life. Now, you might think, well, I wouldn't put money first in my life ahead of God. But think to yourself, how many times have you ever told yourself, well, I know God wanted me to give this money um, to this, but I, I really can't afford that right now. Isn't that putting the money ahead of God? You see, the, the real trick is that it's not the wealth or the money that's the problem. It's us. It's what's on the inside. It's how we treat it that's the problem. You could be, you know, a, a person like Bill Gates and have tens of billions of dollars and not have a problem with wealth or greed. You're probably thinking, yes, if I had Bill Gates' money, I wouldn't have a problem with wealth or greed either. But actually, that's not true. People who have more money tend to get more worried about their money because you can lose it easier. And so God tell, is showing us something about this tension that we live in, this, on the one hand, desire to make sure that we're going to be okay in our old age and we'll have enough to pay our bills now and take care of our kids and send them to college and about serving only Him as Lord. So what's the solution? What do we do? Well, he's given us the solution. It's called tithing. You know, said, oh good, we get to go to your church on tithing. But the truth is, is that it really is good news. The problem with tithing is that the church has far too long used it as a fundraising technique, which is really the worst reason to tithe, by the way. See, tithing really doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what you give to the church. It has to do with what you give away to God. And believe it or not, sometimes churches don't do what God wants. They won't admit it, but it's true. And sometimes God even wants you to do help and give away to things other than churches, believe it or not. And so what we are called to do is to set aside 10% of, our, of what we bring in for God. For God's purposes. Now, why 10%? You know, you just needed a number and that sounded like a good one? Well, no. I mean, it's actually in the Old Testament um, when Abraham meets Melchizedek. But I'm going to come to modern times a little bit first. Did you know that if you took all Americans, they would average giving between 2 and 2.5% two and of their income away to help others? That's true whether they're religious or non-religious, you know, regardless of what faith they belong to, regardless of how often they go to church or how devout they are. Put all those people together, and that's the average that you're going to get. Now, if people who are atheists who don't believe in God at all can have a good enough heart to give away between 2 and 2.5%, two and that doesn't sound like it's that much of a challenge, does it, to keep it from being idolatry? And so what God says, no, you're going to give fourfold that. Set aside 
four times as much for my work and give it away. And we do that for the very purpose of keeping us from becoming idolaters of money. Because otherwise we could very easily begin to depend upon our financial security more than we depend upon God. That happens a lot. Particularly in a society like ours where we do very well. Particularly in capitalism where we really have learned about the change that wealth can bring about in a society. I mean, think back to what life was like in 1867. Very few people had very much money at all. Most people just survived. You know, a lot of people walked because they couldn't even afford a horse. And yet, look at today's world with cell phones and cars and shopping malls. You know, try pulling somebody from 1867 into our world and watch their jaw drop when you take them into a store. It's a lot different than the old general store, isn't it? I mean, and it's capitalism that has done that. So it's not that capitalism is bad. It's what we do with it that can become bad. When we begin to believe that somehow or other we can provide for our future, then we're in trouble. You know, I'm going to retire in another decade or so, and so I'm starting thinking about retirement. I'm trying to figure out, so exactly how much do you have to have to retire? I mean, what do you need to do that? And it's driving me crazy because every time I look at stuff, it always says, how long do you plan to live? I'm going to live forever. (laughs) I'm not going to die at all. I just won't be here. (laughs) You know, so how do you do that? I mean, that that doesn't make sense. While we were on vacation this past week, we went up to the Rutherford B. Hayes uh, Presidential Library and Museum in in, uh, Fremont. It's a wonderful place if you haven't been. And I loved one of his quotes. Now, this guy lived in a place that looked every bit as big as the White House. He had 125 acres, and, and you know, he had been president, governor twice, a congressman, you know, and, and he is really very wealthy man. And he says, while I am by no means wealthy, and I thought, yeah, right. He said, while I am by no means wealthy, I have managed to create for myself a certain amount of independence in my retirement. <laughs> I love that one. You know, but that's what we do with wealth. We compare ourselves to others, and honestly, compared to Carnegie and Rockefeller and those people, he wasn't very wealthy. They were far wealthier than he was. But he wasn't hurting. <laughs> I can tell you that. And yet, we tend to never think we have enough. Well, what is enough? How much do you need to have enough? I saw in 60 Minutes, they asked Donald Trump, the, Trump that question one time. He said, there's no such thing as enough. He said, it all depends on what you're going to do with it. Now, there are some, including some in the church, who would use it to bash wealthy people and say they oppress the poor because of all the money and wealth they have. That's a good program for driving wealthy people out of the church. But it's not true that, that being wealthy is bad. What is true is what do you do with it when you got it? How do you handle it? Well, God calls us to give the first 10%, just like Abraham did to the priest Melchizedek, the first 10% of what we are and what we have to him for his use. Now you might say, well, that's easy for you to say. And to some extent that's true. 
Because I started tithing when I was in seminary. Um, do you know how much I made when I was in seminary? Nothing. It's pretty easy to tithe off of nothing. I mean, <laughs> 10% of zero, zero. I did real well. The challenge came when I got out and got a job. And then I had to make a decision. What am I going to do now? You know, do I say that the first 10% of what I get belongs to God? Or do I say, well, I've got expenses. I have student loans. I've got this and that, and I need to get a home. And, you know, and yet I knew that if I did that, I would fall guilt, you know, victim to that making money and idolatry again. It would become what owned me, not what I owned. Because you see, it's, it's not that money's bad if it's a tool. But when it becomes important in and of itself, then it is an idol. And so God gave us this way to give 10%, the first 10% to Him, to remind us always that all that we have belongs to Him. Everything. Now, this may not be something you're aware of. Hold on to the edge of your seat there, though, but you, you can't take it with you when you go. You really can't. You can earn as much as you want to, but you don't get to take it with you. It'll stay here. And the question is, is is it being used for the purposes for which God intended, both in your life and after your life? That's really the issue. And churches that try to turn it into a fundraising technique are also being idolatrous. Look, you know, I've heard people say in church, 10% of your money goes to the church. After that, you can give to other charities. Well, that's true if you equate the church with God. But I don't know if you've noticed, but churches aren't exactly infallible. But God is. And it bothers me when people judge other people because of what they give to the church, because how do we know what it is that God is calling them to do? Do you sit in their prayer room with them and overhear what God is saying to them? How would you know? Perhaps God's telling them to support you know, their, their brother-in-law who's been out of work. Suppose if God's calling them to support a hospital that's trying to, to add a wing for children. Does God not care about those things? Of course He does. And so the tithe is not about church money. It's about God's money. And we've got to get that straight. So what do we do? How do we get to that place? Because what happens is that if you give away 10%, the first 10%, it transforms how you view the world. It changes you. That's the good news of it. Because now your money doesn't own you, you own it. And you see all of it is being used for God's vineyard. That's how you put to death the earthly things. And so, admittedly, if you're an adult with a mortgage and two car payments and credit card bills and utility bills and gasoline keeps going up and groceries keep going up and you might not be giving 10%. That You go, well, how am I supposed to do that? And that's tough. So the first thing I want to tell you is if you have children or grandchildren, nephews, nieces that are young, start them out. You know, from the time John was a baby, we went to what was then Christian Armory, now it's Lifeway, and bought him a bank. It has three different sections in it. Um, we called one uh, piggy and one the bank, and the other one's for him. And he puts 10%, the first 10% of anything he gets for, for piggy, which is savings. 10%, well, it's a steeple, not the bank. A steeple that, that's for God. And then the other 80% he lives on. 
That's what he gets to spend. That's his. He can do whatever he wants to. And it's a whole lot easier to start at one year old than it is to start at 40 years old. Because you have people helping you. So one of the things that we can do is begin to help the next generation to acquire savings and invest in God. It can really make a difference. Now, you might say, well, that's good for the kids, but what about me? I'm not there yet. Well, sit down. Write down all the money that you give away during the year. You know, all the people come knocking on your door, all the people that are shaking boots or cups at you when you stop at a red light. You know, everything. You know, the local high school, whatever it is. All the money you just give away to be helpful because you want to help. And then once you make that list and write down what you give away, and once you've made that list, then go down through that list and pray about it and ask God, how many of these things are really things, God, that you want to have done? And how much of it is I'm just buying, buying them off so that they won't bother me anymore? That's called extortion, by the way. I have to... <laughs> oh. And then once you get that list, then go back and tabulate how much, what percentage that is of your income. I suspect you'll probably find that it's more than you thought it was, even now. You probably don't think, well, I don't give anything. I suspect you'll find it's a whole lot more than you thought it was. And when you do that, look at it and figure out what percentage it is. Say it's 4%. If it's 4%, then, then make a commitment. Say, God, I can't get to 10% right now because if I do, the mortgage company is going to foreclose. But I am going to increase it next year to 4.5%. And the year after that, I'm going to go to 5 And the year after that, I'm going to go to 55 And if you run into a year where you can't do it, don't despair and don't beat up on yourself, but don't give up on it either. Just keep at it. Keep adding a little bit each year. And eventually, you will get to that 10%. And the miraculous thing about giving the first 10% to God is that it does change the other 90%. You're no longer controlled by those things.